Hi there, everybody. This is George. I'm going to give you a brief note before we start the show. Uh, as you will have known, I did not end up getting this show finished for last month. There are a lot of reasons to that that I'm not going to go into so much in detail. But um, because of that, I do want to let people know uh, this episode was recorded before the death of George Floyd and before the Black Lives Matter protests. I only say that because there is some discussion of racism in this. Uh, it's not anti-black racism, but uh, anti-Asian racism that we discuss. But I have a feeling that that discussion might have been different if it had occurred afterwards. So I wanted to let people know. I still think the, the episode has interesting and useful things in it. So I am going to publish it as it is, but wanted to let people know about that. Uh, by the way, I also did not charge patrons for that month because I didn't put anything out. I don't feel comfortable charging people. Uh, maybe if you're inclined, you could instead donate that uh, Patreon pledge to protest efforts or, you know, bail funds, things like that. Now, a couple of other announcements. Uh, I was working on some other things, some other projects while uh, I was uh, working on this, and uh, those are out. So I illustrated a book written by my mother along with my four-year-old daughter. It's called When We Stay In, and it's sort of directed at children who are in quarantine and not able to see other family members and stuff like that. We I put it up on archive.org for free. I'll just link to that. Uh, the other one is my wife and I have just launched a YouTube channel teaching English. It's directed at uh, Chinese speakers, but uh, we got bilingual subtitles. I suppose lots of people could benefit from it, but I wanted to tell you about that. I will link to that channel, and uh, if you have friends who are learning English or you want to uh, follow us and see what we've got there, that's up there. All right. That's enough of me up here at the front talking. Let's get on with a greeting and get on with your episode, right? So take care of yourself, wear a mask, stay at home if you can. Let's go. Fash, Kamengaligi, Chatsutsegutamish, Pitmane Ogshani, Okog, Chatsutsegu Ugi, Su Chatsutsegu Usutang Igi, Boetsomesi, Sasekauni, Tselne Hagi. Welcome to Conlingery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me in Calgary, we have uh, Joey Windsor. Good day. Yeah. And uh, that's all for today. We are going to... 
So this this idea came into my head that we're going to do something sort of topical, and that is we're going to talk about naming diseases. And I will uh, let people know that it shouldn't be this way, but there are some political implications to some of the things that we're going to say in this episode, which people will understand. Um, and uh, for anyone listening far in the future, know that this was recorded. Um, I, what do we want to say? It's early on in the uh, COVID-19 crisis. <laughs> I, I hope it's not early on. I, I think we've uh, I think we've started to figure things out, and hopefully things are going to start looking better pretty soon. But yeah, we're we're in it for the long haul. So hard to say. Well, I mean, it's been around for uh, several months uh, in the U.S., but the, the, they're still talking about up to a year for a vaccine if we even get one. So anyway, that that this. That's going to make a whole lot of sense as we dive into the topic. Another thing is, if I sound a little bit different than I have on recent episodes, it's just because I um, it's too hot to be recording under a blanket. So I might have a little bit more reverb than I have had. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, before we get to the topic, on Langer is entirely supported by our patrons over at Patreon. Uh, if you can give a little bit on that, that, that would be great. That helps support the show. I can possibly get other equipment. Uh, the transcripts you have uh, for new episodes are funded with that, uh, which, by the way, I have to catch up on the um, earlier episodes I've been or I mean to I mean I need to ask my transcriptionist to catch up on that. That's all on me though, because I haven't asked her yet. But anyway, uh a buck, two bucks, or if you want some of the higher tiers, you can take a look at, at what kind of perks you can get and and give more, but a little gift every month can help me out if you can spare it in these uncertain times. Uh, and all right. So, so thank you for using the word uncertain instead of unprecedented. Cause I'm, I guess at a certain level of granularity, everything is unprecedented, but we've, we've had pandemics before. Uh, yeah. Well, this one, so this one is probably worse than anything in living memory, right? That's for because, sure. Because, uh, the closest parallel people draw is the 1918 flu, which will will come up in this podcast uh, a bit later. But here's here's what we want to talk about. This is a linguistics podcast. This is a conlanging podcast, and there's a very interesting thing that has gone on with the naming of this virus. That if you can step back a little bit and and analyze it without without uh, being like right in the middle of your thoughts with it, could launch into interesting 
con-worlding opportunities, especially if you want to do, like, storytelling and conflict stuff. Uh, so I want to start out with just a brief summary. And we need to actually go back with sort of backstory. In 2015, the WHO issued new guidelines for naming diseases. And uh, I, I believe what it is, is the preference is to name the disease according to the pathogen that causes it, or if that information is not available, then based on the symptoms. And they are specifically said to avoid place names, names of ethnic groups, animals, I think several other categories as well, that had shown historically to cause problems. This was actually sort of spurred on by the swine flu, so-called, the H1N1, which, because it was called swine flu, led to unnecessarily, unnecessary mass slaughters of pigs. <laughs> but um, when jump to late 2019 and a... We think it happened in a wet market in Wuhan, a coronavirus, which are a very common type of virus that many coronaviruses cause forms of the common cold. This one happens to be related to the virus that causes severe acute respiratory system or SARS. Sorry, severe acute respiratory syndrome, right? Yes. Which which also started in China, but it jumped from bats to humans and caused the disease that we now know as COVID-19. Early on, some press reports were calling it uh, the Wuhan coronavirus because it started in the city of Wuhan. Uh, soon after that, they started using the sort of placeholder name for the virus, which was 2019 NCOV. That's, that's a very modern sounding thing and in a, in a string of very modern sounding names. And then from 2019 NCOV, the virus got the name SARS-CoV-2 for SARS coronavirus 2 because it's related to the SARS coronavirus. And then the, the disease was designated by the WHO as Coronavirus Disease 2019, abbreviated COVID-19, which is the name that we all know it by. So, uh, to, to now, most press sources in the United States call it COVID-19, or sometimes just COVID, or coronavirus, which is, I, I suppose that's a bit of... Uh, uh, hyponymy changing from like this broad category to this specific one and then feeling some pressure about the lackluster response of his administration president donald trump in march i believe issued a tweet which was his first instance of calling it quote unquote Chinese virus trying to deflect blame and 
feeding into a lot of um, less than savory na- narratives about this virus. A lot of uh, racist narratives about this virus. Um, as we're, we're talking about this, so we're using this as a launching off point. We're going to talk about other, other disease names, but um, I do want to highlight up at the front. Okay. My wife is Chinese. I have a Chinese uh, or Chinese sister-in-law from, from Taiwan. And people, it's not really a secret what my political leanings are either. So <laughs> you would, listeners will not be surprised that I myself do prefer the official name COVID-19 and uh, SARS-CoV-2 for the actual virus. Um, I'm sure that, Joey, that that is what you will use as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll either say COVID-19 or, or the coronavirus, um, SARS-CoV-2 or 2019 novel coronavirus are a little too long for the tongue. But yes, I, I have no desire to link this to a particular people or area. Right, right. And uh, we're not going to get too much into the weeds of that. But this is an interesting instance. And it is useful to to be thinking about this if you were, you know, going to write a story about a pandemic in a fictional world or something in in that vein. Because it's showing there is a political dimension to this. It is not by accident that certain people have taken to calling it Chinese virus. And when they are using that, they are reflecting certain attitudes. Now, I I want to quickly say a lot of people will defend the, the use and say, well, it started in China. We call other diseases by that name. Uh, I'm not really... The purpose here is to point out the the trend and the the reality is that there are people who use whichever name depending on certain political affiliations. So it's some something to think about not only in the real world where this is very important to think about but in your fictional worlds if you have some sort of a widespread disease there are a lot of things some of it's going to be political conflicts some of it is just going to be your speaker's perceptions about the disease or misconceptions or what have you are going to influence what people call that disease um so let's let's start sort of looking through some more examples and we're actually going to be talking about a lot about english right now but we might might branch into other languages as well uh joey can you yeah so i I think it's really cool that you started out by saying the the closest parallel in living memory for something like this bad is uh the 1918 1919 influenza pandemic which was an h1n1 pandemic and it uh, got labeled popularly 
as the Spanish flu. And of course, in, in Spain, people didn't call it the Spanish flu because that would be very against their political motivations. And they tended to call it the French flu. Um, I don't know how you say French flu in Spanish. I, I have absolutely no Spanish, but uh, um, probably they, influenza uh, francesa, probably <laughs> potentially. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, I don't um, know. but, uh, you know, people in Spain would would attribute this virus, this this pandemic to France because they knew it was hitting France quite bad and they believed it came into Spain through France, obviously share a border. Um, so, you know, that's a, a pretty good assumption, I guess. But um, as epidemiologists later found out, the first case that they could trace back to this was patient zero was actually in Kansas. So to, to sort of, I don't know if it was to shift the blame or if it was this othering effect or something like that, this virus that first made its appearance in a human being was in the United States. That has nothing to do with hygiene or political beliefs or anything else. It just happened to be where someone got sick. And then it got labeled popularly in North America as the Spanish flu. And that uh, that moniker has followed it for over a century now. And there's and, there's a um, long history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just like uh, stopping with the, the, the this name of Spanish flu. It's important to understand some of the circumstances around that, because I, I have like. My understanding is that this this is about perception and about the information people had because yes. in 1918, World War One was going on or the Great War, as people would have called it then. And most newspapers were focused on the war effort in any of the countries that were fighting. Yes. And there was also censorship of the of the the actual flu pandemic. So Spain was not involved in World War One. So their newspapers were covering the pandemic, which led to the perception that it started in Spain when it actually started in the United States. So. Yeah, and that's actually sort of the the odd person out in a long history of this sort of othering. Um, so when cholera was first detected, it was first detected in India and it picked up the moniker Asiatic cholera, um, the bubonic plague. And I, I don't understand the the circumstances around this, but um, around the time of the bubonic plague, Surgeon General Walter Wyman called it an oriental disease peculiar to rice eaters, you know, that, that very much othering effect. In 57 and 58, we had the Asian flu. In 68, 69, we had the Hong Kong flu. Um, you already talked about swine flu. And then just a few years before the WHO changed the guidelines, like you were talking about, we got MERS coronavirus. And MERS um, stands for Middle East Respiratory Syndrome because it first was discovered in 2012 in Saudi Arabia. Now, I, I think that one actually flies under the radar because people are familiar hearing um, MRSA. Um, so the the penicillin resistant 
bacterium. So maybe people are making that logical leap or illogical yeah, that leap. Actually, it, it actually did take me some time to understand that those were different because I just heard oblique references in the news to yeah. MERS, and I'm like, is that MRSA? But then I understood that it was actually a coronavirus. Not that closely related to the one we're dealing with right now, but uh, yeah. Um, but same, same broad family, yeah. So th there's this yeah. othering effect, and it's... I mean, I'll, I'll take off my linguist hat and put on my, my health policy hat for a second. It's it's a very dangerous thing in in our world. I mean, you can do what you want with it in a con world, but this othering effect where you're saying it's an oriental disease peculiar to rice eaters makes the general public feel like, oh, I can't get it. I'm safe. Or maybe if I stop eating rice, I'll be safe. Or if this is the Wuhan coronavirus, it's all the way over there. I don't need to worry about this. Yeah. I can still go to my various gatherings where we sing and spread viruses. But um, it, it is a very harmful thing where if you other the virus, you, you make your people or the people you're politically aligned with feel like they're somehow immune or somehow distanced from the virus. And then they don't take the necessary precautions because it's an other person's virus. And that brings me back to one I'm, I'm very glad we have changed the name on. Um, but of course, in, in what, 40 years ago, we had GRID, the gay-related immunodeficiency, um, because people thought it was homosexuals that spread this disease. They didn't realize there were a number of different ways this disease could be spread. Uh, and it took a long time to go, this isn't a disease exclusive to homosexual. Actually, I think I, they thought it was homosexual men originally, not, uh, not women. But once they realized that there were a number of ways to share the virus, they, they finally dropped the grid label and uh, came up with HIV AIDS. So the, uh, the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome stopping that othering and, and letting people know this is a risk to everyone and as a human you can acquire this this syndrome um right. so we, you know we did some good things but uh it started out pretty terrible as as a lot of these have yeah and and that's uh, there's another ish thing of the the virus and the disease being named separately i don't know when that started but well i mean as soon as we've been able to isolate viruses, probably we've been doing something like that. But it's human immunodeficiency virus and then um, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome is the disease that it causes. Um, right. I have heard other probably derogatory names that used to be used. Um, not they weren't used like they weren't in use when I was like aware of these things, but uh, that used to be used things like gay cancer or gay disease, which, Oh yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but yeah, it should be noted that that, that particular virus did hit the uh, LGBTQ community very hard. 
Which also kind of makes it even worse that it was originally associated with gay men in that way. Um, but this this is a part of the world. Yeah, it's a part of our linguistic history. Yeah. And it's it's good to be aware of it in the real world. And also, it's good to be aware of it if you are using your conlang for storytelling to show what the perceptions are and potential conflict points. If the kinds of people who get associated, not always, there, there's, there's not all, not necessarily always, but usually it's, as you said, it's like an othering thing. It's people who are other than the people who are giving the name. I, I'm sure there must be a, a Star Trek reference, and I'm, I'm thinking it was the Enterprise series, and I'm, I'm sure the, the Andorians blamed the Klingons for something, and the Klingons blamed the humans, and the humans blamed someone yeah. else. And I, I'm sure this happened, but I can't think of the, the episode. So it... it it obviously lends itself to good con worlding and good storytelling if you can use this. But I, I want to bring up, I guess I'm going to make an extension from one of the points David Peterson put in, in his book. And that is, you know, we, we have the ability to stop using sexist language, even though we, we see it rampant in natural languages as the conlangers, we have the ability to, mm -hmm not make the female form of something derogatory and the male form of something positive. Um, and sure, if you need that for your con world, it's obviously believable, but, but we have that power to stop that. And I, I think we can say the same thing about diseases. If it makes an in-world obvious choice that's believable that you're going to blame a disease on a certain ethnic group and that's what the speakers of your conlang in your con world would do. It's absolutely believable, but we have the power as conlangers to, to pull away from that and, you know, be creative on other fronts. I think that that is absolutely true. And I wouldn't want people to feel like they have to do it. In fact, it's something that you should be very considerate about. Like, is this going to be a source of conflict that you want to put in because writing racism and writing uh, xenophobia can be tricky, especially for those of us who don't have the direct experience on the receiving end of it. Yeah. So it, it, it is a very careful, it's, it's a uh, tightrope walk to, to think about. So yeah. let's actually take a step back. And talk a little bit about where disease names can come from, because they come from a lot of places. This is not the only, they're not only from like ethnic groups or anything. So I have, I just put together a list here and feel free, uh, Joey, to add on or anything. So sure. symptoms, obviously, and symptoms are something that are observable even if you don't have like germ theory or or clear understandings of vectors um one thing is naming things by symptoms will influence how you categorize diseases so like is it's going to be 
you know, you've got the sniffles where there are actually quite a lot of diseases that cause a runny nose or sneezing, right? So it's really funny. Right before, uh, you know, we started this, I was sitting here Googling some some etymology. And the first thing I thought of was diarrhea. And I know Rhea has this. It, it's applied to other things such as the sniffles, which is rhinorrhea. You know, so you, you've got your, your rhino, your, your horn, your nose, and a runny nose is rhinorrhea. And that got me thinking, okay, so what's the dye in diarrhea or diverticulitis or something like that? And it's, uh, it's from, I believe it was the, the Greek to, to move through or to, to pass through. And the rhea is the sort of quickly, um, quickly exiting or something like that, uh, discharge, quickly flowing, quickly discharging. And oh, so okay. there's a number of things that come from that. And when I finally managed to find this um, suffix, this rhea suffix meaning to flow or discharge, the example they gave was gonorrhea, you know, a, a discharging pustule. So this rhea thing gets applied to a lot of different, more technical names than something like the the sniffles but uh you can see sort of that influence where a lot of compounds use a symptom as part of the disease name right that's that's very interesting and diarrhea is another example there's a lot of things that cause diarrhea including cholera um yes i was listening i was listening actually to um uh there's a podcast that would be that's interesting uh, if you're into medical stuff, I just, I've just listened to like two episodes, but it's called Sawbones and they talk about like the history of medicine and some of the like crazy things that happened in the past in terms of like what kinds of treatments people got and such. And, uh, they talked about the cholera riots and at the, at the, in the, um, early 19th century, There was a tendency just to call anything that caused diarrhea a cholera, (laughs) which, by the way, that was a thing that influenced people's reactions to the cholera epidemic at the time. Because, like, these riots were happening partly because people didn't trust doctors and people knew of cholera's. And they like knew that they, that you know oh there's the summer cholera and the winter cholera well what's different about this cholera that makes it so much worse uh, and you know a bunch of conspiracy theories very familiar to things that are happening today but uh, yeah uh, that that's that's a that's something it will influence people anyway getting back to it but symptoms symptoms are a big thing. And like you said, there's a lot of, I think of pox when I think of a symptom as like a combining factor. When you know, yeah. when you have in English, the word pox in a disease name, you know that a major diagnostic symptom is red pustules, red eruptions on the skin, right? So that is like a very clear thing um affected organs like pneumonia 
the pneumon part of that is Greek for lung, and pneumonia is fluid in the lungs. Right. So, um, usually caused by a bacterial infection or some kind of damage to the lungs. Vectors, which even before germ theory, people had sometimes an understanding of vectors. Cowpox comes from the fact people knew that it came from cows because people who were in close contact with cows tended to get cowpox, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a thing. It's not until you can start isolating germs that you would actually have a na- a disease name similar to COVID-19 or or just COVID because like viruses were not discovered until later in the 19th century and um and so like before before that time, you wouldn't name anything after a virus. Before you, people discovered bacteria, they wouldn't name anything after a bacteria because they didn't know it. So, yeah. and that's a, an important thing is perception is important. Malaria comes from the Italian uh, words for bad air, right? From miasma theory. Yeah. So it's like, like Joey said, like the stuff I was talking about at the beginning about like reflecting political conflicts and, and reflecting people's attitudes toward each other. You don't have to include that kind of thing. It's something that you can consider if it serves your narrative or avoid if you prefer not to involve that kind of thing into to a story but you do have to think about what knowledge do the people in your con world have what knowledge did they have when they named the disease because we still call that malaria even though we know it's uh from a parasite now and then you have to think about you know a little bit about history, a little bit about where these things end up. Sorry, where what people know and when they know it. So I'm I'm looking at our, our shared uh, show notes here on my screen, and I'm I'm really interested in your your seasonal reference there because that is not where I would have uh, placed the word cold. So building on your what people know about this thing, let's let's talk about why you put cold in seasonal reference. Well, I mean. That's 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 an interesting question because and I, I don't I know don't actually no let <laughs> let me actually see if I can look up where where does cold in reference to is, is there a way we can find out where where cold in reference to diseases comes from yeah, it's got to be on dictionary.com they usually give something like that so I mean I, I read that and I go oh no it's it's because of this old sort of folk belief that if you go out in the cold without a jacket, it lowers your immune system. And the cause of a cold, as the common cold, is from physically being cold. Um, so if you go out at night in the summer and it's a chilly night and you don't wear your jacket, you'll get a cold. And I'm sure many people's mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers have warned them that um, the, the temperature cold causes the illness the cold and then as soon as i'm thinking about this when i see your reference to seasonal uh, as cold i went well 
that is that is potentially it as well because i wouldn't necessarily say i caught a cold in august i would say i caught a summer cold and i don't know if that's a thing that that listeners or or you have but uh, it's certainly a term we would use up here as you know differentiating the cold you get in february from the cold you get in august that's okay a summer cold so i do understand like that folk belief um and beliefs about warm and cold in relation to health are fairly commonplace around the world um like my wife will talk about like like in china it's sort of traditionally not good for people to eat cold things or drink cold drinks especially pregnant or pregnant women or women who have recently given birth so there's also a term that she uses nehua in her she, she'll translate it as internal heat also whereas like you have too much heat in your body causing you to be sick mm. which and that's separate from a fever yeah yeah that's well not it's not fever yeah, okay. it's not fever, it's internal heat. The way she uses it, like, I don't know if it actually is a very specific thing. It's more like sort of a catch-all term for, like, feeling feeling ill in a certain way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting... Kind of like, well, people sometimes use, like, oh, I have a bug... Sometimes I have a cold or something for sort of some general uh, illness that they can't fully identify. Um, but yeah, so what would be a good seasonal reference? Because cold has, it has that folk belief about temperature, but it also is sort of that seasonal thing. But I'm trying to think of other than modifiers like you say the the winter cold and the summer cold people used to talk about the winter cholera the summer cholera go whatever um spring fever is not quite (laughs) a disease um but yeah um i don't know but but it's something a conlinger could use yeah 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 there's that there are lots of diseases that are seasonal um, yes i know mostly of ones that come about during the winter months so colds obviously the seasonal flu um things like that i mean i guess we could talk about hypothermia but that's that's a symptom rather than yeah that that's a and well, I mean, when the, that goes into general medical stuff too, because yeah. do we call same with that, like frostbite. Yeah, do we call that a disease or something else? I guess, I guess people will talk about it as as a disease, but it's sort of an injury too. Yeah, um, it's a condition. <laughs> it's a condition. Yes. Yeah. It is a condition. That is caused by being excessively cold. Frostbite, too, by your extremities being exposed to the cold. Yeah. Um, uh, exposure is, I mean, it's not a disease. It's not a, a virus that can in, infect you, but it is um, the result of exposure to the elements. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Another source that you may or may not want to use is the pe people who discovered the disease, naming diseases after people, uh, individual people, uh, which like used to be a thing among Western scientists to like brand the name, the disease by with the name of the discoverer or the first patient or the first patient or. So I, I think of Lou Gehrig's it is was Lou Gehrig's the first identified patient. of I ALS. thought so. But you have me questioning that now. The, the, that's a that's a question, because the thing is, he was very famous. So even if he wasn't the first, he had a chance to be the, the label for the disease. Uh, we'd have to look into that. Um, the thing about that is that like that again, this is a thing. If you want to explore this, you can. If you want to say I don't want to deal with that, then you don't have to deal with that. But it's like that's another thing where the name can end up being problematic because of who you named it after. And the, the one that the one that came to mind was Asperger's syndrome. That's not a disease. It's that's a a syndrome. It's a it's a disability. Now, Hans Asperger actually worked with the Nazis and a lot of people like have a strange relationship with the name of that syndrome because they know that fact. So, <laughs> so my, um, what I do in, in, in medical fields, uh, so I'm an, a knowledge translator. I, I work in a global health epidemiology lab and we work for, we work primarily with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and the, the inflammatory bowel diseases are ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And this is named after Dr. Crone. Um, and there's, uh, there's an interesting history to this. So in the 1800s, we were starting to get uh, regional ileitis and terminal ileitis um, and starting to discover these inflammation of the intestines and, and things like that, uh, fistulas. And Ginsburg and Oppenheimer, to uh, clinician scientists discovered that um, what would ultimately come to be known as Crohn's disease was a distinct disease from ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative colitis being located just at the end of the gastrointestinal tract, but Crohn's disease affecting what we say gum to bum. So anywhere in the, uh, in the gastrointestinal tract. And uh, Ginsburg and Oppenheimer said, you know, we, we want to publish this, but maybe we need a big name on it. And they sent their manuscript uh, to Crone and reportedly, unbeknownst to Ginsburg and Oppenheimer, this 1938 publication comes out, Crone, Ginsburg and Oppenheimer. And because Crone was the first listed author on this paper that they didn't even know was being published, according to legend, his name got affiliated with the disease. And this is actually quite a current topic in medical linguistics. Should it be Crohn's disease? Should we drop the apostrophe and it be this sort of like inherent plural Crohn's disease? Or should we drop the S entirely and it just be Crohn disease? Or should we revert to something like terminal ileitis, regional ileitis, things like that? And uh, it's an interesting debate as to whether this scientist's name should be attached to the 
disease. And, you know, in world, you can have this sort of politics between physicians. You can ignore it. You can name it for famous physicians in your world. Um, you can have discussions over yeah. if you somehow change their name once it gets uh, applied to a disease. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And your your example is a much tamer example than what I was <laughs> when I had like, you know, this guy possibly was involved in in killing people with the with the disorder. But uh, whereas yours is this like this guy, this guy, this guy stole other people's glory, which is a great story. Too, and one that you could probably get away with without doing as much like back work on it. Um, <laughs> But, so I have to say, you know, in Crohn's de defense, it was, you know, tradi publishing tradition at the time that authors were listed in alphabetical order, regardless of contribution. And it was Crohn, Ginsburg and Oppenheimer. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he published it without their knowledge, which is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, no, but I mean, there's all kinds of different directions you can go with this. Like, if you ha end up with this tradition of, and it's not often, like I gave the example of Asperger's, but things like um, Down's syndrome, and mm -hmm. uh, there's there are a lot of not diseases but disorders that are named after individuals. There's there's some diseases too, like Crohn's. I don't know. Is that would you call that a disease or a, dis a disorder? It's a chronic disorder, right? But uh, I would still call it a disease. It um, we we don't understand perfectly the pathogenesis, and there might be variable pathogenesis in different populations um, and amongst different people. So it it can. I don't want to say it be acquired, but it can emerge later in life due to various environmental triggers. So yeah, we do classify it as a disease, but not a not a bacterium or a, or a viral disease. But yeah, a lot of them are also but disorders, degenerative disorders, Alzheimer's, things like that. But um, but you don't have to have a con culture have that tradition either, because no. I mean, as I said, it's actually I think it's mostly sort of a modern Western science thing, like where scientists wanted to start it's it's the same impulse that gives us in linguistics the term grimm's law it's like these people are like discovered this and we're gonna put their name on it <laughs> which sort of has gone out of favor although sometimes people try to revive it or whatever but you don't have to have that but there there are a whole lot of things and there's things like diseases could be named a prestige language we have a lot of Latin and Greek in names of even even like symptoms of diseases and such, um, uh, just because, you know, they're technical terms and those are languages we go to for technical terms. I think my favorite example of that is is actually not a, a technical term and it's influenza. And uh, as, as far as I can tell, doing some some etymological digging on dictionary.com this comes from the medieval latin influentia uh to influence so you know this this virus right. 
has an influence over you. It, it shuts you down. Um, <laughs> right. But that's, that's really cool. You could apply something like that. Like, is there this external presence that is exerting its influence over you, like a virus or a bacterium? And, and, you know, is that the, the process of being influenced, how you drive the name for the sickness? I, I think that's one of the really cool things. And it's not a, rhinorrhea or diverticulitis or anything like that i know someone i'm not gonna say who it is because i'm not sure if i should but um i know of someone who had a disease known at known in english at least as moya moya and that name comes from japanese this is a um this is a disorder in your in in the blood vessels in the skull let's see let me let me let me read from you to you from a male clinic so moya moya is a is a rare blood vessel disorder in which the carotid artery in the skull becomes blocked or narrowed reducing blood flow to your brain tiny blood vessels then open up at the base of the brain to attempt to supply the brain with blood so the reason it's called moya moya that's a Japanese idiophone. I, I think it was discovered in Japan for the pattern that these tiny blood vessels make on an MRI. Huh. And I think Japanese culture has a lot of that. because I, I seem to remember there's a couple other diseases like octopus heart, and it's because the, the heart deforms to look like kind of the, the head of an octopus. I, I can't remember what that disease is, but there, I think there are a few like that in Japanese, which is another interesting avenue you can go down. Right. So here it's... So here on Wikipedia, it explains, it says on conventional MR angiography, these collateral vessels have the appearance of a puff of smoke described as moya moya in Japanese. So it's an idiophone describing the look of a puff of smoke. So that's 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 sort of what it looks like. It doesn't look quite like that to me. But again, it's about perception. Whoever was looking at the images of this and identified this disease thought that's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, the, no, the, but the, that's again, it's a, a decision of where where something was discovered and then where it goes to, because we do borrow names for these things. You know, uh, we've mentioned Moya Moya coming from Japanese. We've mentioned a name that comes from Italian. Obviously, Greek and Latin roots get stuck in. And like, of course, there are other languages that have borrowed English terms. I don't know if we could call COVID-19 an English term. I guess it is based on the name in English. Um but I don't know. It's, a, it's kind of a Latinate, though. Coronavirus, I guess, disease. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and let me actually, I'm going to be editing out a, a little bit of silence here because I am going to be looking up because I know that's an interesting thing. So the, the word coronavirus, I think, often gets borrowed again because viruses were relatively recently discovered i was looking this up recently and the um so the word virus comes from a latin word for for poison uh or venom 
And um, and I don't, there's not a clear story on this, but one of the earliest uh, people to identify viruses as a pathogen actually thought they were liquid. Because the way it was, dis- they were discovered was they were not caught by filters that would catch bacteria. Because viruses mm. are smaller. Yeah. Um, most viruses are. I think there are some like mega viruses that are actually gigantic, even though they don't have cells. But um, yeah, okay, that doesn't help me. Let me make sure I get the pronunciation on this right. But um, so you expect a lot of languages to borrow that from. Uh, from from sort of from Latin via English, if you want to call it a Latin term, because the corona means crown. Yes. But, you know, yeah. So in Chinese, it's called Guanzhuang Bingdu. Guanzhuang means crown. And then Bingdu means virus, which that virus probably is influenced by the by the origin of virus, too, because it's actually disease poison becomes virus oh. and then Guangzhou is crown so it's the crown virus coronavirus so that one is a calc again this is a thing of like where were these things discovered and where do they end up going right i was gonna say and, and then of course you you get to ask you know how resistant or sympathetic to borrowings is your language Mm-hmm. Um, some languages like English will take any little bit of loose grammar lying around um, and then I, I need to bring in Blackfoot at some point Blackfoot is heavily resistant to borrowing and this is one of my, my favorite things about the language um, so Blackfoot wouldn't borrow an English term if they could if they could help it um, the exception typically being um, English names. Um, so if you wanted to say Joe or Joey in Blackfoot, you'd get two as the ta African is as close as you're going to get in the, in the phonetic inventory. But typically they'll come up with their own names. And, um, I, I love Blackfoot for this because it's such a descriptive language. Um, and I'm, I'm going to butcher a couple of these words because I really should have practiced them, but I, I didn't. So cancer, for example, in Blackfoot is anitochkatist, um, many centrally connected legs, because cancer has those legs that um, spread out from a, a central area. Um, we were talking about the various poxes earlier, and pixisini um, is, is an eruption. So smallpox in Blackfoot is sikapixisini. Uh, a black skin eruption or big skin eruption the red skin eruption or, or measles i don't actually know the etymology of this one it was it was fascinating to me but there's a verb in blackfoot it's a it's a majority verb language um but there's a verb to develop pneumonia uh it's an animate intransitive verb to develop ammonia. And as far as I can tell, this actually comes from mochpiks or the rib. So not, not lung or anything like that, but there's, there's something there building on a root for rib. Um, 
which is also really cool. And then, of course, we have to get back to COVID-19. Um, and I had a, a student in my Blackfoot class earlier this year who asked the elder, like, you know, she was asking, how do you say I'm afraid of or I'm worried about or I hate different things? And she said, you know, there's probably no word in Blackfoot for COVID-19. So could we just call it COVID-19 and use the English? And the elder said, and, you know, I, I caught on to that. They're like, oh, that's cool. There's actually a word for COVID-19. And is a, a general root in Blackfoot. It prefixes to a number of things. So an eagle is pita, but a, a bat is a bad eagle. So COVID-19 in Blackfoot is just the bad sickness. You know, it's, it's current, it's timely, everybody knows about it, it's bad. So we're just going to call COVID-19 the bad sickness. And I love that, that descriptive nature of the yeah. language. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Like, um, cool. I mean, it, it, it's... It made that may change in the future, too. It may. It's not like yeah. anything of this is set in stone, but right like at this moment, it's just the bad sickness, and that might be if you write about a pandemic and you're you're finding a word for it in your conlang. That might just be what people call something, right? So that that. That is definitely a good inspiration. I wish I knew names of diseases in Ho-Chunk because they're similarly uh, averse to loan words. Like um, they do borrow, like like you like like with Blackfoot, they do borrow names. That's the I I have not heard. I didn't. I never heard Cecil nativize English names. Um, though there there's like a strong separation in the culture uh, between a Ho-Chunk name and an English name because uh, Ho-Chunk names, you don't, you can't just have a Ho-Chunk name. You have to be given a name. Uh, uh, that's very similar to Blackfoot, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so my, so, and, my English name in, in is, is Joey, right? And if they were trying to put a Blackfoot pronunciation on it, it'd be so, but my name in Blackfoot is uh, or White Bear, mm -hmm. and that was that was given to me by a Horn Society elder back in 2012. Uh, so he, right. you know, he prayed about it and he said, you know, this is the name for you. It was the name of my uncle and I'm going to pass it on to you. So I, I got my Blackfoot name and I could be referred to either as my English name or by my Blackfoot name. In that context oh that's that is interesting so my impression was with ho-chunk outsiders do not get ho-chunk names um ah. you would have to be you would have to be actually adopted into a clan before you could uh, before a warrior could name you but otherwise you're either going to use your english name or your birth order name uh, mm. which is birth order names is what what children go by before before they're given their name so that's 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 interesting i don't know like were you inducted into like a blackfoot clan or is this just like they are do freely give outsiders blackfoot names i wouldn't necessarily say freely give i 
I, I helped teach the language for a number of years. I, I worked with a number of elders and they they recognized the effort I was putting in and said, you know, you're you're ready for this honorary name. So they they kind of honorarily brought me in with the name, though I'm not a member of the, the tribe or anything like that. Right, right. Yeah. So where was where was I going before we had the, the digression <laughs> about indigenous naming practices but <laughs> anyway lone um, resistant languages <laughs> yeah lone lone resistant languages so like that it's it's a a factor involved whether the the language is more prone to borrow something or calcet or invent their own local word for something based on their own understanding um, that's, that's going to be something that you will consider with any word, but you know, with disease names, it's another thing that, that happens. Um, the, uh, what else do we, oh, I had, do I have the link to this here? Oh yeah. So, um, circling back to COVID-19 a little bit, um, can I? Open it, just open it in Safari. Okay, so I saw this interesting sort of red, little Reddit thread that was talking about, um, just continue, um, like in various Asian languages. So the, there's some interesting things going on, like even in Chinese, there are people who apparently are still calling it Wuhan pneumonia, whereas otherwise they'll, they'll call it like, um, like novel, novel coronavirus, which can be the, uh, abbreviated like, uh, so new, new crown basically. But, um, uh, and, but, I guess we don't really have time. I don't really have time to go through all the comments and find the stuff that I was looking at, but there was some interesting thoughts. If you want to do exploring political stuff, there were some comments from people talking about, again, uh, like people in Taiwan or people in Japan also choosing what name to call the virus based on their own political ideals. So again, that's something that you can that people are free to use in their worlds if they want to, and they, although it can be like tricky to involve those sorts of things, or you're free to disregard that, and really there there will be nothing missing. Going back to Joey, your earlier comment, because I was I was starting off this conversation being really up about like, oh, this is this is a potential like illustration of conflict in a, a story or something. But like, no, they, you made a good point early on that you, it's like we don't have to do that. And there will not feel no one will feel that there's anything missing if you don't have diseases that are named after places or ethnic groups or what have you. It's sort of something to be aware of if you want it to become a part of the story. 
but not something you necessarily have to replicate about the real world. Because again, like so many diseases are not named that way. You have, you know, colds and measles and and uh, malaria and all kinds of other sources for disease names, if you want. It was that sort of the, that political angle was sort of just our jumping off point today. Yeah. Um, anyway, I hope this has been a great discussion. Uh, a, I hope this has been a useful discussion for you and that we've ha- given some inspiration for people. Uh, Joey, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off for today? Well, I, I'm curious. So this is this isn't a topic I've explored in in any of my conlangs yet, and I, I do have one example where I I did put one malady into a uh, a tiefling curse. But I'm I'm curious. Have have you done a lot with with diseases or symptoms or syndromes in your conlangs? You know, I don't think I have. I. You you actually uh, posted in our show notes uh, about diarrhea, the word for diarrhea in tiefling, which was like, like it translates as something like toilet emergency or something. Um, I, I mean, it's still just diarrhea. I, I was entirely uncreative when I started working on tiefling, which was one of my earlier conlangs. So I just took the word diarrhea and gave it a tiefling. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so it, it, it's actually, so your word for diarrhea is just a a, a basic root. Yeah. Okay. It's terrible. Um, I, I wish I had done better with that. Yeah. Um, I, it, that reminded me that in, in Estatiki, I actually did make, it was, it's a verb incorporation compound, pihafup, uh, which means to, to mud to mud shit basically you you know uh that is a very descriptive term <laughs> apologies for that image i want to think uh i wish i had had time to search for this because like it's it's some i have not thought about diseases so much i know that i mean i should be going up to my shelf and grabbing my klingon or my dothraki dictionary and looking up to see if if mark or david did anything interesting but that's for another time i think yeah i mean the uh, i i i i was kind of in a rush to get into this episode because of some things going on but i'm trying to think um the only time i can think of where there was like icon world specific disease or disorder was I know that in my first language, uh, Yeltach is for a species called the Chala, Chala Gulag, or Chala Jez. And so they, they're like, they, they look like some kind of um, pteranodon or a pterodactyl type creature that they that has very advanced genetic engineering and one sort of genetic cast can with a lot of effort and technological help transform into other creatures and they 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 like age faster it's been a very long time since i've looked at this <laughs> but it's like they 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 because if as they 
change bodies, which they don't do that often, but like two, after two or three times changing into different species, they start to degrade. And I'm trying to think if I ever gave that condition a name. It's it's almost like they have a degenerative disorder. I'm not sure if I gave that a name or maybe like in general, there's like a a disorder that all of them, all Hala enter when they reach sort of senescence um, that but I don't remember if I give it a name. So that's, that's something to think about. This is an early language. Maybe I wasn't really thinking about. What, what the name of this should be, and that's why I don't remember it. Um, but if if I had had more, if I had, like, I got this idea today, and then I didn't have time to look it up. If I had had more time, I would have, like, dug into my ancient, my old blog that was in that con world and seen if I could find a name. But I don't know if I actually did. Um, but yeah, anyway, tangents aside, um, <laughs> no, I haven't actually done a whole lot with, with disease names. Um, yeah, I haven't, but, I haven't done anything either yet. So I think maybe that's, that's something that we can do, uh, we can set as homework for ourselves and for other conlangers to Go into disease names as like a subset of your lexicon and think about the issues that we presented. Do a little bit of research and think about what what are you going to name? Like maybe start with one disease or a collection of common diseases and try to think about like how would your speakers experience that? How would what would they know about it? Where 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 would it go for them? And then try to sort that out a little bit for yourself and, and get a, f a few names of diseases out, out of it. Maybe you'll end up thinking, oh, this is interesting and go crazy with it. Um, I think the procedure for this, like the, the thing you wouldn't want to do is be looking up symptoms of the disease, look up the history of the disease, look at older or traditional theories of medicine, you know, go back into miasma theory and, um, you know, maybe some traditional Chinese medicine stuff or, or, or different, different ways people thought about disease in the past. Think about what the technology level of your people is, is today, now, at the time this language is spoken, and what it was maybe when they first encountered the disease, and, you know, come up with some, some stuff. Just sort of gather whatever information that you think would um, help give you inspiration for names. I'm thinking you just gave me some inspiration for, for Tejosian disease naming, and I, I think it would end up being compounds, and it would be things like yellow sap treats it oh and all, i think all of the diseases would be named by the the treatments or remedies in, in take closely and i think that would be my take on that one i don't think it's a natural language thing Anna do it but um i yeah you know i have never heard of such a thing but i could see 
a culture developing a tradition of doing something like that, especially if they knew of treatments that were very reliably effective, or at least they thought were very reliably effective, yeah. and and it became the 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 treatment became associated with the disease that thoroughly. So that would that would be an interesting. So in your case, you're gonna have to. You know, this is a D and D world. Yep. And I've, I've named a lot of the, the fauna, so the flora and fauna. So they, they would have herbal remedies. And so I guess you're going to be looking at like, what are the, 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 the plants, the medicinal herbs and stuff that these people use and yeah. what diseases those thing, things would treat. That's, that's an interesting thought. So yeah, you can even come up with some, some interesting original ideas. Anyway, this this has been a great discussion, but it has gone a bit long for <laughs> our usual episodes. Um, but uh, uh, thanks, Joey, for coming on. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah, and uh, it's been fun. And I'm good to say to everyone out there, happy Conley. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Conlangery is supported by our patrons over at Patreon. A special thank you to Ezekiel Fordsmender, Graham Hill, and Margaret Ranstall Green, as well as all of our other patrons for their support. Conlangery is under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, attribution, share-alike license. You may use Conlangery in any non-commercial work as long as credit is provided and you use the same license on that work. Conlangery's website was designed by Bianca Richards and our theme music is by Null Device.